Question 112, what do Christians pray for in the fourth petition? Answer, in the fourth petition, which is, give us this day our daily bread, Christians pray that of God's free gift, they may receive a competent portion of the good things of this life and enjoy His blessing with them. So the first question, as is so often the case with me as a catechist, is what does a certain word mean? Question one, what does competent mean? It means sufficient or enough. So this is the quantity that makes for suitable or comfortable living. Sufficient. Not greatly more than that, not less than that. So, adequate, moderate. Now we would typically use this word competent in describing a person's work ability, perhaps. We might say that a man is a competent worker. That means he's a good worker. He's sufficient to the task. He does it well enough. He neither greatly underachieves nor significantly overachieves. So to pray for a competent portion of the good things of this life is to ask for enough to meet our needs and for some to enjoy. So by using this word competent, the authors realize that the amount is going to vary according to the time and according to the person. Some people will have callings or stations, positions, situations, requirements that exceed others. Some will have more children. Some will have larger extended families. Some will have to have guests regularly. There could be all kinds of individual situations. One man's moderation may very well be another man's abundance. Or one woman's needs and reasonable wants might be extravagance for someone else. A sufficiency is what we ask for according to this answer. A competent portion um, for what uh, Agur famously prayed for in Proverbs 30 verses 8 and 9. Right? Don't give me too little, I might steal. Don't give me too much, I might forget you God. And so that in-between is what they're calling competent sufficient, moderate. All right? So that's how we're using the word um, 300 plus years ago and still today. All right? Now the next question is, what does bread stand for? When Jesus tells us to pray for our daily bread, what does he mean? Well, he's, bread stands for temporal good things, for blessings. The answer says, bread is, quote, the good things of this life. Now, we don't typically use that kind of language. We might say something more like, we want our needs met. Or, we would like our needs met with a little bit of comfort. Something like that. So, bread here is a synecdoche, right? That's the part that stands for the whole. That's a very common figure of speech in the Bible. Bread here is a synecdoche that stands for everything necessary, useful, or properly desirable in life. 
So what we're praying for in this petition is for the physical things that support our lives, like food, clothing, money, a, a home or shelter, possessions or other property, a good wife, a good husband, children, friends, peace, sleep, health, education, employment, a safe and civil society, wise and just governors, etc., etc. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? Well, what we're doing is we're coming to God and saying, I have these needs. And every one of us does every day. And so this is right to do. Jesus teaches us that asking for material things, a proper amount of them, is not a wrong thing. It's not necessarily sinful or selfish. Now, not, not everyone agrees with this view. Some take this to be, uh, you know, spiritual bread. And of course, Christ does talk about spiritual bread. But there really isn't any reason here in the context or when we compare it to other things to think that's what's in mind here. And in fact, if he doesn't teach us to ask for material things here, there's nowhere else in this model prayer that he does. So are we really to exist as disembodied spirits who don't care about our bodily needs and God our Father doesn't either, we're just asking, you know, we're so spiritual we, we don't ever ask for food and clothing. No, no. This is Jesus teaching us that when we become Christians, we are united to Christ body and soul. And he cares about us body and soul. It is right to say, my children are hungry. I'm worried about our house payment. I'm concerned about it. Would you please supply what we need to live? That's a perfectly right thing to do. God cares for and takes care of our physical existence, not just our spiritual existence, right? So bread here stands for temporal good things. Question three, are we asking only for necessities? You know, in the absolute sense, all we're allowed to ask God for is the absolute bare minimum to stay alive. It was very clear from looking at most of us that God gives us more than what we barely need to stay alive, right? And that's not what we're asking for here. We are not praying for necessities in the strictest sense of the word. We aren't asking God here for only the barest amount of food. Oh, Father, today I need just enough calories so that I don't die of starvation. That's, that's not what we're asking our Father. We're not saying, provide me with just enough to drink that I don't die of that. We're not asking for the minimal amount of heat and shelter that will, allow us, that will allow us to scrape by, scarcely existing for another day. We do ask for our genuinely foundational needs, but we're also praying for extras, for, en for enough of these things, not just to exist, but to, 
but, but to live and prosper a sufficient amount to enjoy and make life easier and better for us. In, in other words, we're asking not for barrenness, we're asking for blessings. We aren't praying for crusty, moldy bread in small quantities. We ask God for a sufficient amount of bread suitable to our needs and work, and yes, even our comfort and enjoyment. Now, I remember the first time I studied this, this was, I found this rather shocking, and I fought this for a long time. But upon reflection, you know, it, it really shouldn't be shocking to us that we're instructed to ask this way, because is God stingy? Is your God stingy? N no. Is he a miser? No. <laughs> Does he delight to see you scrape by hungry and miserable and downcast? Or is our God good? Is our God so good that he showers good gifts, not just on those who believe in him, but on even the evil men and women of the world? Matthew 5, 44 and 45. Your Father in heaven causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Acts 17, 25. God gives men life and breath and everything else. Matthew 7, 11. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, and how many of you give the least good gifts with the greatest infrequency you can to your loved children. That's not your goal, is it? Oh, you don't want to spoil them on the other extreme, but you want to give them good things, enjoyable things, healthy things. If we know how to do that, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? In 2 Corinthians 9, we are urged to give generously of our physical substance. Well, how would you do that if you weren't given generously? That is a question. <laughs> but we are to do that out of our physical substance because this is how God gives to us. We are following his example. He loves a cheerful giver. Why? Because he's a cheerful giver. Psalm 145, 8 to 16 would be another passage you could, you could study. Or um, Nehemiah 9, 25. That's an interesting verse that says that the Israelites were given the land, the land of Canaan, and then, quote, they ate to the full and were well nourished, they reveled in your great goodness. Now, if God acted that way toward Old Covenant Israel, why wouldn't that be the ordinary standard that we would expect to ask for and receive from Him in our day and age? In, you know, Jesus went to feasts. He didn't just always sit in the dirt and fast. 1 Timothy 6.19, God is the one who, quote, richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So in God's provision for us, He is generous. He goes beyond merely meeting our minimal needs by supplying us conveniences, comforts, and enjoyments. Now, of course, there are limitations to what we're requesting here. We always ask for these things conditionally, for example. 
We pray for spiritual graces absolutely. <laughs> In other words, you don't, you don't want a pardon for sin, maybe. You're not asking for a part of your sins to be pardoned when you, when you talk to God. You, you want it all. <laughs> you need it all taken care of. Well, that's true with spiritual graces, but it's not true with, with uh, physical ones. God often gives us partials in physical things because he knows what's best for us. And out of his goodness, he does give us what is best for us. We must not be like the Israelites in the desert who after getting their literal daily bread on a daily basis, right, the manna, said, we have to have meat or we're going to die. <laughs> we're sick of this. No, that, that should never be our response to the goodness of God, to what he gives us. Or think about Rachel who said she had to have a child or she preferred to die. No, these things that we ask for of a physical nature, we ask for them conditionally. We say, we mean, yes, give us our daily bread as you will. Give us our daily bread as you, my kind, wise, heavenly Father, know what's best for me. We're, we're always praying that, whether we say the words or not. We're always asking for these things conditionally. But secondly, we also pray for them for spiritual purposes, for spiritual ends. In other words, we don't ask God to give us all these things so that we can consume them on our own lusts. Give me more pie and chocolate because I want to be terribly obese and useless in life. No. No. James 4, 3, right? <laughs> don't, we, we don't receive certain things because we don't ask for them. And if we do, we're, we're asking for wrong reasons to consume them with our own desires. Rather, what we ought to be asking for food and clothing and shelter and peace and good governors and on and on and on that list was, we ought to be doing that to help us to heaven, to fulfill our duties to supply the needs of others. I hope you want more than you need so that you can share. Now some of you, God knows what's best for you and, and you won't ever have that. Or you'll have very little of it. And that's fine. You're not called to give what God didn't give to you. But some of you will have an abundance. And God doesn't give abundances so that you can spend them on your lust, so that you can just waste them on yourself. Is part of it for you? Oh, absolutely. Rejoice. Have a feast. Throw a party. Thank God. This is why Thanksgiving's my favorite holiday. I like all those foods in large quantities, multiple times, and I want to praise God for it. Right? But some of you will get such an abundance that most of it shouldn't be spent on you. It should be spent on kingdom concerns. It ought to be spent on the truly poor, needy, the orphan, the widow, the, 
the, the church to this to that Augustine summarizes it all this way we pray for whatever will be for our well-being not just our being not just our bare being but our well-being so that we can have something to share with others all right so that's question three are we only asking for necessities? Well, in one sense, yes, depending on how you define that. But in the normal sense of it, in the strict sense, no. We're asking for necessities and a bit more, thank you. And our loving Heavenly Father, I think, has probably given all of us that for most of our lives. Right? Question four. Should we pray to be rich in bread? Should we pray to be rich in bread? We're praying, we are praying for a competent amount. And I believe the biblical answer is no. We should not desire or request any kind of great wealth. Again, Agur, Proverbs 30, give me neither poverty nor riches. You can have too much of a good thing. What is beneficial and pleasurable for you in small or moderate portions may not be in abundant quantities. Any of us that have younger children know that whatever their favorite food is, if it were left out in vast quantities, it would not be good for that child. Oh, it would be wonderful for the first several minutes. And then it would be very unpleasant for the next few days. And if we were to actually indulge them like that, for many months or years, it could literally lead to their death. Well, our Heavenly Father knows that riches would put most of us in hell. He knows that. He's smart enough to know that. And He portions out to very few the riches of the world. Now, it's not a sin to be rich. There's absolutely nothing wrong with being well-off, even rich. I know a Christian man who owns a majority part of a bank. Now that's what I call rich. When your money is owning money, you're rich. And he's incredibly generous with it. He has given vast quantities of money to good causes. And he keeps working hard to make more. And God keeps blessing him because you know what? God knows he, he can trust him. He's one of the few rich men who will actually enter the kingdom of heaven. There aren't very many of them. Jesus is plain, right? When the good things of this life come in rich abundance, we tend to be full or forget or deny God. It's as if when our bellies are full, our minds don't have any room left for God. He actually prayed, don't make me rich. Agered it. Don't, don't make me rich. <laughs> Remember, our prayers are the offering up of our desires unto God. These desires must be fitting for a righteous man. That is, they must be held in faith and consistent with the will of God. But desiring a lavish portion, not a competent portion, a lavish portion of the good things in this life is not God's counsel. 
1 Timothy 6, 6 to 10 is very plain about this. God says riches are a great snare. They are a temptation. They are a harmful desire, not a righteous one. Being eager or loving money is spiritual suicide. One of the most commonly misquoted verses in the Bible, right, is that money is the root of all evil. Of course, the Bible doesn't say that. It says the love of money. Right? So that desire, that lust, that inordinate setting of yourself upon it, that's the problem. But we ought not to be desiring or asking for that. We should be asking for a competent portion. Now again, that doesn't mean God might not grant you riches. He absolutely can do that, and He can do that safely. I'm reminded of the story of William Kiffin. Orphaned before 10 by the plague in London in the 1620s. Has a little bit of material sustenance left over from his mother and father. Barely escapes the plague himself. Goes to live with family members who don't give any of this to him and they spend it all. And then he's apprenticed and he works for many years and he and his wife uh, in their early 20s barely have enough to eat. And then one day God gives him some cloth that he has the wisdom to take to the Netherlands. Back then it would have been called Holland. And he sells it. And, and he doesn't bring over you know, a pound's worth and get two pounds back. God multiplies this into hundreds and thousands of pounds. And Kiffin, in just a few months, and this continued for most of his life, became tremendously rich. He became so wealthy that the king used to come to him for loans. And there's a, there's a probably partly true and partly apocryphal story that says that King Charles II came to Kiffin and asked him for 40,000 pounds. I mean, millions and millions of dollars for a loan. Well, Kiffin knew very well that he would never see any of that again. So the story is told that what he did was he said, well, I don't have 40 to loan you, but I do have 10,000 to give you. And apparently gave it to him, right? And jokingly, he is said to have said later, I saved myself 30,000 pounds, right? So God can make you rich. God can make you righteously rich. And, and he does that sometimes. And, and people who are given that um, can be great blessings to God's church. But there's a difference between God making you rich and you desiring something sinfully. And we must be very careful there, right? That's, in other words, that's not what we're praying for in this petition. Jesus does not teach us to do that. Question five, don't we have the power to get good things for ourselves? And the short answer is, of course, no. <laughs> we don't have the power in ourselves to get good things for ourselves. Short answer is no, they are God's free gift. And that's in the, that's in the answer. They are God's free gift. The larger catechism puts it this way, in Adam and by our own sin, we have forfeited our right to all the outward blessings of this life. I mean, you and I do deserve to starve to death. We, we don't deserve any good blessing from God. 
We deserve to be wholly deprived of them by God and to have them cursed to us in the use of them and that they neither of themselves are able to sustain us nor we to merit or by our own industry to procure them. In other words, we don't have any right to these good things nor do we have any merit or ability in ourselves to gain them. So all of our food and drink, all of our clothing and shelter, all of our restful sleep, anytime you've ever had a bit of a peace of mind, all of those are mercies from God. And those are answers to this prayer. I really hope for those of you who don't, I really hope you'll, you'll develop the habit of praying this prayer every day. This is a wonderful way to orient yourself to God's priorities for your life instead of your own. Wake up and before you do anything, you pray this and you'll be on the right path <laughs> for the day. The general principle of Luke 17.10 applies here. We are all unprofitable servants and we deserve nothing good from God. All we have earned is lack. But God graciously gives us with these things. Sometimes it's through our own efforts, sometimes it's by inheritance, sometimes it's by gifts. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that these good things come to us. But all of these should point to our own impotence in providing for ourselves. And even when they come by our own labor, we would agree with Deuteronomy 8, 17 and 18, which says, You may say to yourself, My power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Right. <laughs> Question six, do we have to work for our bread? Do we have to work for our bread? Well, well I, no, I don't have to work for my bread. I'm asking God. I, Jesus tells me to ask for it. I'm, he's just going to drop it out of heaven like manna. I hope you all know that's wrong. God uses means to answer our requests. Do we have to work for our bread? Yes, it is God's ordained means of provision. The noble woman of Proverbs 30, quote, works with eager hands and sets about her work vigorously. She doesn't eat the bread of idleness. Psalm 128, 1 and 2. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in His ways. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessing and prosperity will be yours. Proverbs 10, 4. Diligent hands bring wealth with the blessing of God. 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12. Work with your own hands. That's a command. That's an imperative. So that you will not be dependent on anybody. God gives these blessings, but He has so ordained it that it will be with the sat as the satisfying result of our own work. And we're warned repeatedly in Scripture against laziness and presumption. 1 Thessalonians 5, 14. The idle are to be warned, Paul says. And in 2 Thessalonians, he says again, if a man will not work, he shall not eat. Verse 12, those who are idle are to settle down and earn the bread they eat. So yes, we must work for our bread, since it is God's command and it's His ordained means of provision. Now, lest any of you with a tender conscience say, yeah, but I'm, I'm not able to work. I have injuries, or I have this problem or that problem, and I can't. Yes, yes, 
God will provide for you another way. And you're not responsible to do what you can't do in this respect. But ordinarily, we work for our bread. Question seven, why do we ask for it daily? I love this answer. To teach us dependence on God with contentment. To teach us dependence on God with contentment. Our bodies are weak. I don't know about you, but I like to eat three times a day. My wife eats twice. Forget that. Let's eat three or four times. We need sleep. We need safety. And we are to go to God at least daily and make our needs and requests known. And these two truths come together in this prayer. We don't say, give us our bread. We say, give us this day our daily bread. This prayer reinforces in our minds our great reliance on God, even for the smallest things. And since we are asking for things in accordance with His will, we know that we have them to the degree that His goodness and wisdom determine is best. Oh, there's so much comfort in having a sovereign God, isn't there? If God wasn't all-powerful and He didn't ordain whatever comes to pass, we would have no idea if what we asked for God was actually capable of meeting. In fact, we would be sure that He couldn't always. The God of the Bible is sufficient for our needs. So let us never complain or doubt, but be thankful with truly contented hearts. 1 Timothy 6.8 A good verse to quote to your children and yourself at the same time. If we have food and clothing, we will be content. But I have to have this certain video thing. I have to, if this is proper perspective, if we have food and clothing, we will be content. Question eight, for whom do we ask these things? We ask these things not just for ourselves, but for all men, especially those that we have care for. So ourselves, perhaps our immediate families. It's give us this day, not give me, give us this day. So it's right to pray for others in this regard. That not just we ourselves alone, but those around us would also receive their daily bread. It's good to think about the safety and to pray for it of each other and the other kinds of the ordinary competent things in life that we need. Who knows? Perhaps your unsaved neighbor who hears you pray that God would give them their daily bread would come to realize that when they're given it, this is the kindness of God. Maybe that will lead them to repentance. Romans 2.4 On the other hand, or the flip side of that is 1 Timothy 5.8 says that we are to provide for our relatives, especially our own immediate family. Um, If not, we don't even have any right to call ourselves a Christian. We're worse than the pagans. Even they know how to take care of their families. So if we are to do that, surely we are to pray (laughs) for them to receive their daily bread. Uh, Question nine, the final question, are the good things of life always a blessing? Are the good things of life always a blessing? No. God must make them a blessing. 
You know, ordinarily in our culture these days, the people with the greatest blessings from God are the most wicked and the most miserable. I don't know about you, but Hollywood has no attraction to me. Why would I want to be that unhappy? <laughs> I mean, really. No thanks. I'd rather be happy. I don't want the money. I don't want the fame. I don't want the string of lovers. I don't want the, I don't want to be unhappy. I don't like misery. Proverbs 10.22, the blessing of the Lord brings wealth and he adds no trouble to it. God can give good gifts and not enable a man to enjoy them. And many an unsaved person around us knows exactly that, especially in this country, the richest country probably ever in the history of the world. Lots of people with the blessing of the Lord, and yet men find no enjoyment in it. Sometimes this happens as in the case of the rich fool. Remember him? He filled up his barns. He began to be satisfied, but was that night called to account and left it all behind. God didn't bless him with the time, the length of life, to enjoy the good things he had given him. For others, he doesn't bless them with the grace to enjoy them. Oh, he gives them the time, but they're just miserable wretches. <laughs> These are the complaining, discontent, never satisfied, covetous, always grasping people so common in our culture. And sometimes, sadly to say, they're found in our homes and even in our own skins. But to his children, God makes all these blessings by giving them pleasure in the good things of life and grateful hearts to thank him. Ecclesiastes 5, 1 Timothy 4. Brethren, um, this physical area of our life is like every area of our life. Um, it's dependent on God. In other words, it's all of grace. Right? All of grace. 